0: tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck.
1: I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky?
0: Well, do you, Bunk? So, you know, the... I don't know. There wasn't too many great movies out to go see the last couple of weeks. Um, I actually checked out The Snowman. Have you heard about this?
1: I think... I I really haven't heard anything from anybody that's watched it, per se, but uh, I do know that it's like a horror film that's based off of a novel that stars Michael Fassbender.
0: It does star Michael Fassbender, and I can see it being based off a novel, but I wouldn't say that it's a horror film. Like not even like a slasher film. Like if anything, it's more of a detective story. Um, I mean, essentially there's this, Ooh, that's there's, interesting. Yeah. There's a serial killer, um, who is leaving his trademark snowman at, at, his uh, um, his or her victims place. And, uh, Michael Fassbender plays a, I, I guess it's in Norway. <laughs> Sorry for being a dumb American don't really know my places outside of America but um yeah he's like a detective who at one to- at one point was huge like he was he was the the guy people they studied him at the police academy and stuff like that but now he's kind of more of a a drunk that um is is like a lot worse for wear but uh they the 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 snowman starts to send him letters to like basically to catch him and stuff like that and you know kind of zodiac killer kind of esque and uh, you know it's a lot about him trying to get his his life together or Michael Fassbender trying to get his life together to catch this guy and um, it it's kind of a weird move like and and by weird I don't mean like weird as in. Uh, I don't know what's a what's a a weird movie. Um, uh, what's that? Uh, why why can't I think of that movie? What's what's the movie what's it about? Jennifer Connolly and Jared Leto and about drug use.
1: Requiem for a yeah, Dream. Yeah, there
0: you go. Requiem for a Dream. It's not like not weird like that. I don't know if he'd call that weird or not, but uh, it's just weird in the way that it's put together. Like it's very disjointed, you know, uh, it, Mm -hmm. you get this, I mean, I'm trying not to do anything without spoiling anything, but you, you know, you have this killer who's very intelligent, you know, lots of things have to be just right for a lot of the plans to work, but then he makes a lot of dumb mistakes. So it's, it doesn't really fit. And then you have Val Kilmer in the movie as like this, detective that the snowman went up against before and i don't know what it was but they like it seemed like they gave val kilmer like this cgi mouth and then he doesn't talk it doesn't sound like it i don't know it was it was a very off-putting movie sounds super strange (laughs) it was really strange so uh i didn't know what to think of the movie like i i came out of it i figured out who the killer was like early on and i just i don't know i it i don't know i don't i don't i know i didn't like it but i don't know if i hated it it just was weird
1: yeah it definitely sounds like they made some very interesting choices on that and i feel like it's perhaps also mismarketed too because I would have, I mean, I wouldn't have really assumed that that was like a more traditional detective type narrative. Like it completely seems from the trailer to me, at least like a, like a more horror film type of situation.
0: That's interesting. Cause I don't think, I don't think I ever really saw a trailer for it. So I, I'll, i the only reason why I went to see it is cause I saw the, the poster and the poster is very Zodiac esque. And I was, that's why I guess I was more intrigued by it cause I was thinking it's a detective story and you know mystery uh find the killer kind of thing uh and Mm -hmm. that's why i was interested in because that's kind of like right up my alley and the type of movies that i like and yeah i don't know (laughs) because there's no there's no real scares in the movie so i wouldn't call it a horror movie at all hmm but then again that gets into right into what we've talked about many times about how marketing has been real amiss as of late in movies Especially lately,
1: it does feel like you said. I know, and I think we've talked about it a number of times on the uh, on the actual podcast here too about how there's a lot of films that uh, there was the Bruce Lee movie uh, that came out not too long
0: ago. Yeah, Birth uh, of a Dragon.
1: Yeah, that seems like it's a Bruce Lee movie, but yet kind of really isn't a Bruce Lee movie. So (sighs) very very strange stuff indeed.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean. I wanted to. I guess I wanted to like this movie more, just because of the the pedigree. Um, I, I actually I don't really know who the director was. Uh, I guess I guess I could look that up real quick. But uh, Michael Fassbender being in it, it, I really expected more. And you know, with Val Kilmer being in the movie, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, I don't think I've seen him in anything since Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. I, yeah, not that I, I can think of. That's last thing I think I saw them in. So uh and then uh one of the female characters i i remember from something else uh i can't quite put my um finger on it at the moment but i i, I oh rebecca ferguson she was you know she was from um uh mission impossible ghost Pro no rogue nation uh huh yeah so she she plays a she's the one she's like the up and coming detective that studied Michael Fassbender's uh, cases when she was in the academy, kind of thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then she has ties to uh, Val Kilmer also. So it's it's an interest. I don't know. Toby Jones is in the movie,
1: uh... and this just uh, came out, right? Like this is um, pretty a pretty new release, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, it's like two weeks ago it came out October twentieth. So a week ago, yeah. Hmm. J.K. Simmons is in the movie. Oh, Chloe did, did, is in You the didn't.
1: Movie? You didn't see any any trailers for this, uh, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, not that I could remember. Hmm.
0: So, uh, let's see who, who the director is. The director is Tomas Alfredson. Uh, anything that he's done before director of snowman tinker taylor Sp- soldier spy wow that's a lot of time in between because 2017 is snowman and soldier spy was 2011
1: yeah um, not only that you mentioned the name and i i didn't i couldn't even think of one movie that that person had directed before so
0: yeah he did the original let the right one in uh, before it was american version with matt reeves let let me in you know about the vampires yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know, so I. Oh, mean,
1: that was a really cool movie. I enjoyed both uh, um, iterations of, of that film.
0: Oh, well, see, I never saw Let the Right One In. I, I saw Let Me In, and I did not enjoy it.
1: Yeah, it really doesn't st- uh, strike me as your type of film, though. Either way, either one of them doesn't really
0: <laughs> uh, strike me
1: as something you'd really be into.
0: So I wonder if that. I mean, because you take a, and I don't know how how similar is Let Let Me In to Let the Right One In.
1: Um, it's. Been a little while since I've seen them, but from what I recall, they were they were pretty close actually. I know there was a few things that they changed here or there, but for the most part, from what I recall watching it, it was it was fairly close.
0: See, like, so I would say because watching Let Me In, obviously it's about vampires, but not. I wouldn't consider that a horror movie. That's like uh, a drama about a, a you know a, a little boy that encounters a vampire I guess is the best way to put it would you put it as a horror movie
1: not particularly no it kind of strikes me a little bit more as like a coming of age tale that just happens to also have a vampire involved
0: okay yeah so I wonder if that's what you, you know that's what you get for you know as they were trying to market this as a horror movie because even though his last well not his last movie but that other movie that was popular uh, was a horror movie in in quotes. Um, they decided to try and mar- market this one as a horror movie too.
1: Yeah, I I guess I'm not really sure. It, like we said, it kind of goes back to the whole like mismarketing thing of of films lately, and. You know, traditionally, horror does usually do pretty well at the box office. And in fact, this year, I think we've seen the largest uh, increase in uh, horror film um, profit in, in a long time because we had, uh, you know, uh, Stephen King's It and um, oh, the Jordan Peele one that I can't remember the name of right now. Get Out. Get out. Yeah. And both of those uh, did extremely well at the at the box office. So, you know, maybe it was just a situation where the studio or the distributor or whoever was involved with that part of the process thought, hey, you know, if we don't if we don't pin this as a horror film, like we're not going to get people's butts in the chairs and buying the tickets and things like that. So maybe it was just the attempt at, you know, trying to capitalize on something and and saying, well, it's got, you know, it's got vampires in it. So it must be a horror film. You know what I mean?
0: Right, right. So yeah um I would I would say that yeah the Stephen King's it was definitely a surprise. I I would say even to the studio that how much how well it ended up doing uh was it highest grossing uh horror movie of all time now?
1: I, d- I heard something like that. I I haven't directly seen the numbers to to directly tell you that 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 is the case, but I did I did hear that it was it was definitely on its way to being a really, really high-grossing horror film.
0: Which Have is, you seen it yet?
1: Yeah, I saw it. What, did you see it? You did? Yeah. No, I haven't seen it yet. I actually just saw they. I guess they kind of released the opening scene the other day, and uh, that was the first time I watched it. And I got to say, that did kind of make me really want to go see it, because I, 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 what is one of the Sarsguards I think, that plays uh, Pennywise, is that right?
0: Yeah, Bill Sarsgaard, um, Alexander Sarsgaard's brother. Uh, plays Pennywise. Yeah, and
1: like his his performance in that opening scene when he's in the sewer is is seriously creepy. Like the cadence in his voice and everything that he's doing. Oh my gosh, I was like, this is amazing.
0: Yeah. Once again, though, I wouldn't say that that movie is that much of a horror movie. I understand that the 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 material or the uh you know the plot points it lend itself to horror, but more than anything I would say that's kind of more of a kind of more of a psychological thriller because of the way that they they attack the material I guess is the best way to put it because a lot of the stuff i I don't know maybe it's just because I'm an adult or you know the fact that it's a it's a clown that's- at- attacking them i I feel like it's handled more with a comedic touch um but for the fact that it needs to be uh scary cuz these kids are being scared which you know plays up to a whole point and i don't know how how much how familiar you are how familiar you are with the the story of Stephen King's it or if you watched the made for tv movie beforehand before
1: yeah i have seen the original uh, it that they did and uh, i've i've never read the book but i've heard you know i've heard some things about the book here or there so I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I'm like super super familiar with it, but I, I at least know some of the stuff that goes on with the the story.
0: Well, I, I just like I one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that like a lot of what Pennywise, um, you know, his power derives from is from what the kids believe in, and what the people of the town seem to believe in. So uh, obviously, if if he's getting his power from you know the the kids' imagination, what they are afraid of is going to be quite childish and, and 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 silly and stuff and I think that's I think that's what a lot of people were not were missing in that movie because I I heard a lot of, of people coming out of it saying it's not scary. I don't understand. And it's, it's like I don't think it's supposed to be scary. I think people have put that connotation on it because one one because it's clowns and two because it's Stephen King and three they probably watched it the made for TV movie when they were a child and it started off this whole kick of you know being afraid of clowns but uh I don't, I don't really think it's supposed to be scary in that way. It's supposed to be more scary in the way that your mind is making the shit up.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think that could make sense. Um, I don't know that I'd say that it kicked off people being afraid of clowns. I feel like that's naturally something that's always been there. Um, <laughs> the think... same way that people just have irrational fears about things. I think Stephen King kind of realized that and, and you know tried to placate to that and, and use that as a, as a source material. I haven't seen the new it. So I, I can't really say one way or the other, whether I would constitute it as, as one of the other, but all I know is that opening scene is very unsettling. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it scary. Right. It is right, unsettling. It's no, you're unsettling right. unsettling for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you that all, all day long. It's definitely unsettling. And there are a lot of scenes that are unsettling in that movie. There's uh in and, and, and I think that's where I'm coming off is it it being more of a psychological throw than it is a a horror movie
1: yeah no, and I think that you know I think that makes sense and I don't know maybe after I watch it, maybe my opinion would would sway differently but uh I think as it stands right now, I'd have to kind of agree with you
0: so ha- have you made it to the movie since Blade runner I think that was the last thing we talked about
1: mmm I don't think I have. I um, I know I still want to go watch the Foreigner. Um, it's a new Jackie Chan movie. looks really good, and uh, I know Suburbia what is it, Suburbicon? Suburbicon, yeah,
0: yeah. I want to go check that out as well. Which I believe um, came out I this think past that's weekend. Kind of did. What's that? I believe that came out this past weekend, right? I think it did. Yeah,
1: I think it uh, came out uh, yesterday. I think.
0: So when you when you're talking about movies mm-hmm. and you're talking about uh plots and i I know that the, there's the academy the you know how they put it as um adapted uh screenplay or original screenplay but yes and obviously if, if if snowman or the snowman is adapted from a book which you you brought up i don't i don't know that for a fact or not but mm-hmm. If it was good enough to have been nominated for you know best screenplay, it would be nominated for best adapted screenplay, right? Yes. And if you, and I don't know anything about the Foreigner. Say, if the Foreigner was nominated for best screenplay, uh, let's just say that it's an original. That would be uh, original screenplay. Yes. Uh, now sequels. Do they go into adapted or do they also go into original, assuming that they're not uh, from a book or or something?
1: Um, As far as I would say, I believe it does go under the adapted screenplay just because it's a sequel. Yeah, because I believe that that's actually if I remember correctly, I think that's actually what happened with True Grit back when that was up for the Oscars. And um, even the Coen brothers, I think, were nominated as well. But I'm pretty sure they had it under-adapted because it's something that's already been done. So, for example, even uh, a couple of years ago with Whiplash, Mm -hmm. uh, the director had made a short film version of Whiplash and then the feature. So even that was not an original screenplay. That was constituted as an adapted screenplay.
0: Do you think there's any, like, is there any uh, stigma when it's uh, adapted as, a, as opposed to original? Like, you know, people like to have the original of things. So do you, do you feel like there's a, a stigma on that?
1: I don't think so, um, especially when it comes to the academies. I feel like it's more of a way to kind of allow more things to be nominated and more things to win the award because if you just had best screenplay – um, you know what I mean? You obviously wouldn't have as many titles in there and, and you'd only be giving out one award. So I think it's just the way of, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing, right? There's a lot of people who, uh, don't think that, you know, best supporting actor and best actor should be broken up on male or female. And, and that's, you know, I understand kind of the reasoning behind that, but I think the other side of that coin too, is, um, you do also get the advantage of being able to have an, a longer award show and give out more awards and more recognition and i feel like that but to do with it as well or at least in my opinion i i hope that it has uh, something to do with it i hope it isn't just like uh you know a sexist separation type thing but i i really don't feel like it is um or if it started off that way i don't i don't think that is the case still going forward or at least that's I guess maybe the way I choose to to view it uh, is that it's just more allowing of a broader spectrum you know what I mean because then you can have multiple nominees on each side of the coin you can hand out more awards and uh, I I just feel like that would be kind of the same situation as with like the best screenplay and the best you know uh, adapted screenplay so best original and best adapted rather
0: hmm So, and I guess that's what, it's a good thing you brought up True Grit. Um, I mean, obviously, and you'll hear people having their opinion on this over and over, uh, but within the movie industry as of late, or even Hollywood industry, we've gone towards a whole reboot, remake mentality of taking IP that has been either successful in the past or has hit a cult following and then trying to remake it in modern times. I mean, you, you would agree with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that with the fact that this year in particular, we've had so many things that have been reboot, remake, sequel, uh, that genre as opposed to original i mean even look i mean you take take a look at uh like what you said foreigner i mean i have no idea if it's adapted or not but it's not really getting all that much the only reason i've seen the trailer for that is because of social media it's not like it's it's getting a hard marketing push um so with these original ideas not getting that far i mean even get out get out is an original idea it's only been i think it's only been getting the, the fame that it's got because of how good it is and how you know people have talked about it but i don't feel like the marketing for that was was really pushed hard um
1: yeah well the foreigner is also based off of a novel of course it uh, is <laughs> titled uh, the china man i believe okay uh so that that wouldn't be an original uh, intellectual property either but I do, I do know what you're saying. And I, I think the biggest thing behind that is, is that it's just the trend in the industry right now in general, because of, of all the other problematic situations that the industry is having, you know, it's why we're seeing, not only are we seeing less and less marketing for, for films, both on the blockbuster side of the scale and on the smaller scale. And then of course the independent scale, but you know, there's, there's a lot of different things in play here, but you know, You're right. I don't remember seeing a whole lot of of marketing material for The Foreigner, um, which arguably I would imagine didn't have probably that big of a budget. But, like, into a comparison, um, we look at something like Blade Runner or like Blade Runner 2049. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of marketing for that movie either. And so I feel like that's been kind of more and more of a trend. And I, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact of, of where Hollywood's at right now in terms of its ecosystem. Um, you know, you've got so many things that are changing in terms of the, the box office uh, revenue being on the decline uh, since 2005, as well as box office attendance has been drastically dropping off. Um, I was reading a little bit earlier that this year is actually going to be the worst uh, financial year for uh, the box office domestically in the past 25 years. Uh, It's currently down about 12 to 13 percent over last year. And a lot of people are predicting that by the end of the year, it'll be anywhere from 15 to 20 percent under what it was last year. So, I mean, I think, you know, when you have these movies, um, especially your larger films, you know, they have a lot more invested interest. They got to make sure that they're getting people in there. But if it's a movie, something like The Foreigner, which, you know, let's be honest, it probably didn't even have, you know, I don't know, probably only had maybe like a $50 million budget or under. Um, So, I mean, when you have that kind of budget and most of that goes into your actual film, You don't really have a lot left to market it, which also costs an exuberant amount of money to make sure that you're hitting all of the different areas of of marketing now. Because now you still have standard TV, you have, you know, um, before movies go live that you have to pay for, you've got all the different social media sites that you have to kind of pick and choose which one of those you're going to pay to market on and how you're going to market it. And then, you know, who the target demographic for this is and how you're going to reach them. So I just feel like there's a lot of changes. And I think, I think to a certain degree, that's not only why we're seeing less marketing. I think that's why we're seeing more and more misrepresentational marketing of what the film actually is. So I think these companies are doing, you know, in my opinion, stuff that I don't agree with, Um, To market the film in a way that they think will bring in a bigger, broader audience versus kind of saying, hey, this is what our movie is. You should come watch it. And, you know, the other thing that I think is particularly fascinating about marketing and trailers that's been kind of on the upward trend lately, too, is giving huge and huge amounts of spoilers out during the trailers uh, right spoilers that completely alter the experience that you would have in the theater if you didn't know that information so I don't think currently as it is I, that the marketing that we're doing as as an industry is really helping our industry as a whole and these movies on an individual level
0: yeah I, you know and I have to agree that and I, I think you're right it's bringing it's 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 bringing uh evidence evidence that we're we're seeing is of the decline of, of the movie not the decline of the movie industry but the the fact that they're losing money um i think that along with the idea that you know i know there's no particular cord for people to Cut as as they do with uh, cable TV or satellite TV and stuff like that, but I think that that mindset is is the same. Um, the idea that you would have to go to a particular place to watch something uh, that's already set for you, as opposed to you watching what it is you want to watch when you watch when you want to watch it. Uh, that's the idea um, that more people were not going to the movie theaters, and then. I think the idea is also that um and obviously I have I have no real backing for this but I, I would think that the mindset is that uh people go to these bigger budget movies in the theaters because it it seems like an event. They've they've tailored stuff to make it seem like an event. So you are going, you're not just going for yourself, you're going to celebrate something with a group of people. Uh that's why you get, you know, stuff like Marvel movies or Pixar movies or um uh, D C movies, you know, that are are huge, lots of money are obviously spent in not only the production but also the marketing for them. Uh because it makes people feel like they're a part of something bigger. Whereas smaller yeah, it's but it's true.
1: Well it's um, just- sorry no go ahead <laughs> I was just gonna at no, no, go
0: smaller budgets obviously they don't have the money to do that so and and nor do maybe the movies are supposed to feel that way so you know it, it, people were rather would rather wait till they can get it at home on their DVRs or at home on their uh, you know their streaming device
1: well yeah and and that's what I was gonna say you know they they are kind of uh, there's a lot of industry analysis that's going on right now. And there's a lot of people that are, are, are in pee pants mode. And if they're not, they absolutely should be. Um, because that's one of the other things that I was reading about earlier too, cause you know, we had kind of talked about, you know, what we we're going to talk about today and, uh, you know, this was something that kind of came up. And so I was kind of trying to research a little bit, but, um, yeah. So was, I mean, since 2005, um, like, it's it's been millions and millions of people that are dropping off of, of going to the theaters. And uh, I found this uh, research that was done by the uh, MPAA that I thought was particularly uh, frightening. And it is that, uh, so people that go to, so this is a 2016, uh, so just last year, um, research study that they did on the U.S. and Canadian population to find out who was going to the movies and how often. And so what they found was that only 11% of the US and Canada population were going to a movie once a month, only 11%, 51% went less than once a month. So indicating that at least one month would go by before they saw a movie and probably in most cases, a bit more. And then, uh, and that's 51%. So 51% of the United States and Canadian or Canadian, <laughs> Canadian, Canadian population go to a movie less than once a month, which is also kind of remarkable. And then 29% don't go to the theater at all anymore, at all. Wow. Um, which is, which is really frightening. And so that combined with the fact that, um, like you said, there's a younger generation that's coming up now and arguably even the generations behind them, that are coming up with access to, like you said, entertainment on demand of whatever they want in terms of the type of entertainment, all that sort of stuff, not only through things like Hulu, Amazon Prime, Netflix, but also via, you know, YouTube and Twitch and Crunchyroll Crunchyroll or whatever it is. And um, all of these other, and Vimeo even for that matter. I mean, there's so many different platforms to consume media now that you know, going to the movie theater and dropping down a tremendous amount of money, um it's kind of becoming a thing that people don't want to do anymore. And the reality behind it is is if the theater chains and you know the industry as a whole doesn't start becoming proactive about where the trends and the digital consumption of media are going we might very well find theaters going the way of Blockbuster. Um, or bookstores. Or what? Or bookstores. Well, true. Um, I think bookstores are, are at least somewhat stabilizing to an extent. Um, you know, you have places that are kind of getting a little bit more um, streamlined with it but but yeah it's still it, like record stores and things like that too for a while we're kind of on the downward trend and I think a lot of those have somewhat stabilized there's actually been a resurgence of vinyl which is crazy um, but you know that that's that could very well become a reality for for movie goers is that it could become almost this um, super niche thing that is a relic that you now go do as kind of more a, a, of like a I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, but kind of more of like a ironic luxury than an actual event like what we do right now. And you know, the other side of that coin, in in terms of what the uh, big spot bo- or the uh, the big studios and stuff like that are doing. In the, in another article that I was reading, they were saying that almost every single uh, studio reported loss of profits last year. Um, Just some of the big ones that they named were like Warner Brothers, Sony. um, I think Paramount might've been on there. Uh, There was a couple other that were on there too, but all of them were reporting financial losses for last year. And so when you look at like what you're talking about with like Marvel and things like that, I think what concerns me is the alarming rate at which Marvel is putting a movie out but it's literally happening happening so fast now that films have less and less of a time frame to also recoup the budget that went into producing the film. So like before, let's just say hypothetically, they might've had six or seven weeks uh, to recoup their, their financial cost at the box office. It's looking like they maybe only have two weeks now and realistically maybe just opening weekend to really recoup and be a financial success because the following weekend, there's another blockbuster already lined up in the chamber. That's getting ready to be ready to be fired out to, excuse me, to audiences. So, you know, that's going to be like, we're literally living in a blockbuster bubble in terms of film right now. And it's, it's just a matter of when it's going to burst because there's no way that if they keep going the way they are now that they can sustain this forever. And I think that's something that, everyone should be very aware
0: of yeah but i mean i don't think we've yet had a marvel movie that didn't recoup i mean at least most of its money in the first in its opening weekend right
1: well from what i've read even though they're bringing money in they're still not necessarily being profitable to the extent that they need to be um which you know you read that and it's and I've, i've actually come across that on a number of different uh analytics sites for uh, for film. and it's kind of hard to think how that is. but then when you look at how much money, you know yes, they might be recouping their production budget, but it's also not accounting for the other you know 100 to 200 million that they're now spending to market them. you know, probably another hundred million on ancillary income that's being manufactured that's also not necessarily being profitable because there's so many films coming out so quickly. Um, that it, it really is hard to tell if even those Marvel films are truly, truly being profitable. The major benefit that they have now is, of course, that they're owned by Disney. So, you know, Disney's not going to really I don't think it's in Disney's best interest to come out and really be as forthcoming with the numbers as they probably should be, much in the sense that it's the same way for Netflix You know, so I mean, they can move stuff around and make it look like it's doing better than what it is. But from everything I've been seeing, like they're not nearly as profitable as what we're being led to believe they are. It sounds like they might still be uh, in a situation where they are being profitable. But the other side of that coin is Marvel is also increasing the number of films per year they're putting out, as is Disney. So somewhere in here, it is going to start cannibalizing itself as well if the trends of the theater continue as they are, which um, at this point, there's really nothing indicating that they're going to change in a positive direction.
0: So that, you know, the, I think that brings up another thing that's uh, pretty interesting that happened within this past week where, uh, let me see if I can find it. Regal theaters or Regal cinemas. Um, and I'm getting this off of <laughs> uh flat slash film. Um, Says uh, the Regal Cinema movie theater chain is planning to test a dynamic pricing concept in movie theaters. Uh, what does dynamic pricing in movie theaters even mean? Regal is teaming up with ticketing startup Adam Tickets, uh, Atom Tickets, A T O M. Atom for this test in several markets in early 2018. Regal CEO Amy Miles told analysts during a third quarter earnings call that changes to the to, to the historical. Uh, pricing structure have often been discussed but rarely tested in our industry and we're excited to learn even more about how pricing changes impact customer uh, how pricing changes impact customer behavior. So um, I guess what the idea would be is that um, different times of the week or different times of the day and depending on what movie it is, the price of the ticket will go up or down. So, if it's a movie that's not doing so well, um, it w- the, the ticket, ticket price would be less, and if it's a blockbuster that's you know, doing really well, the price ticket will be uh, higher. Uh, also, to the account that uh, if it's the weekend, when a lot of people are already going to the movie theaters, the, t- the, pr- t- the price of the ticket will be higher, and then if it's like a Tuesday morning, uh, the, t- the ticket price would be lower. Uh, let's see, Bloomberg suggests that the dynamic pricing will lead to higher uh, prices for top hits and lower rates for flops, encouraging people to buy tickets to movies that aren't performing as well. This also makes sense as the movie theaters are dedicating a whole screen to a film regardless of how many people buy a ticket and thus often losing out on their investment. Uh, imagine paying less, for, uh, paying less to see Blade Runner 2049 because the theater, theaters are less full. So what, what I mean and, and then he says on the other side of the coin, uh, I imagine model uh, this model would lead to tickets for Star Wars episode 9 costing a lot more than in a usual on opening weekend due to the increased demand. I'm sure the idea might upset a number of movie fans, but as someone who usually pays for movies in non-peak times, this seems like the smarter way to run a movie theater business So I mean I mean wouldn't I mean how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I got to admit that that
1: scares the hell out of me to hear them say it that way. Um, I think it's a little bit ridiculous that if you have a hit movie on your hands that your viewers and people that naturally want to go watch it are going to get penalized. Um, Because I'm going to tell you right now, if I roll up to the theater and it's like 20 bucks to watch Star Wars, that's not happening, Um, especially if you're a family. I mean, you imagine if you're a family and, you know, traditionally kids films do extremely well in in the theater. So you imagine rolling up to watch a movie with, you know, four. uh, Well, there's like a friend of ours that has like five kids, you know, so there's seven of them. In right. total. And I mean, could you imagine rolling up on a Saturday to watch a movie and then finding out that all of the tickets have been boosted to like 15 to 20 bucks a ticket yes. just because the film is doing well? Like, and I, I have a feeling that that's going to have an even worse impact because I have a feeling if you're one of those people that aren't really following along to what's really happening and you roll up and they're like, yeah, that's going to be, you know, $250 you're going to be super mad at the theaters and you're probably not going to want to come back at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I don't see how this is a, a really great idea. And even if it, even if it works out, like I see, I don't see this working out for the theaters. Like if the idea is that uh, maybe we can drive more people to come see movies during the week, as opposed to just the weekend. Uh, now the theater has to, uh, plan out for how many employees they're going to have on weekends or on the weekdays, you know, maybe on the week on the weekday on a Tuesday afternoon, there's no need to have, you know, uh, the, the amount of employees that they would have on a Friday afternoon. But now if you're driving more people to work on the week, you're going to have to have a, you know, full time staff, you know, that's available all the time so now the theater itself is putting out more money to employ more people because they have an influx of uh customers on days that they don't expect it uh and then the ticket price will then go up even more because they have they're having to pay for more employees right
1: i mean that certainly could be a uh... A problematic situation I could totally see that kind of backfiring in that way as well but I just think you know I think there's an inherent problem with the whole structuring of how it's done that's slowing people down from going to the theater in the first place and I don't think dynamic Pricing is going to – I don't think it's addressing what the real problem is, and I don't think it's actually being proactive in a sense to help it either uh, for a lot of the reasons that we're discussing because I I still think that's the biggest thing, right? Is There's a lot of people that refuse to go to the theater because they already view it as being too expensive. And now if you have to have yet again another app that's tracking – the optimal time for you to buy a ticket to go to the movie, I think you're going to actually see the opposite happen. I think you're going to see more and more people that slowly start to give up that experience for a cheaper, more comfortable uh, direct access to the film at home versus going to the theater because that's the the other side of that coin too is home theater setups are better than they've ever been There's more direct competition for the exact type of entertainment that people want at their fingertips now than there ever has been in the past. And the other reality is, is I think there's very few films uh, that actually do require a theater viewing experience. There are some. uh, I would totally argue that, you know, the only real way to see Blade Runner 2049 is in, you know, the large scale IMAX. Um, And I would feel that way about probably a lot of the Marvel films and things like that, too. However, um, you know, when I sit there and I think of something like The Foreigner, which full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. But when I think about that, you know, if that movie was playing in the theater or if it was also available on, you know, video on demand that I could rent it for maybe 10, 15 bucks. And watch it in the comfort of my home, and not have to spend money on gas, not have to spend money on dinner, going out, not have to spend money on concessions and, you know, dealing with other people, ruining my experience in the theater because of their cell phones are talking or whatever. Like it does start to become a lot more of an attractive option for movies that don't necessarily have to be viewed in a theater type experience. The other side of that is, I mean, I'm still very much in the camp of, I love going to the theater and there's a lot of people that are growing up now that are totally content watching a movie on a tablet or an iPhone and not needing to have that theater experience, which, I mean, I still think, you know, the most optimal way is in a theater. I think that's kind of how we've designed, how we make movies and stuff, but I just I don't buy this as the solution to bringing people back to the theater, number one, or making the box office profitable again, because I think it I, I really think it's going to have an opposite impact of what they're going for.
0: Well, yeah, because I mean, there's obviously a lot of other inherent problems when going to the movie theater that, you know, as you've already brought up, it's. Finding you have to find a parking spot. You have to drive to it. You have to if you're in a bigger town, you have to deal with traffic. If you if you get there, you have to find a parking spot. You get you get there, you have to get in the line. Even if you do pre-hand, a, I'm going to order my tickets before I get there kind of thing. You still have to get in the line to at least pick up those tickets. Then you get into a concessions line, and then you have to pay outrageous price. That's you know like you know four or five dollars for a box of candy, which you know you can just get a uh, get a grocery store for a fifth of the price at a gas station for a third of the price, but you're there. So you buy it there. And then you're getting into, you get into a theater, which could be overcrowded and, you know, have to deal with the people that are around you. So there's all the peripherals of going to the movie theater. That's uh, some, I, I, a lot of people that are not us, you know, do not want to enjoy and don't want to deal with. Um, and I think, one of the ways that they're combating that and that, this is the other thing that's not the dynamic pricing but like subscriptions um as in the movie pass as that's become more popular within the last couple months or at least getting grabbing more headlines um the idea that you can pay a, a subscription price of right now movie passes what ten dollars a month and be able to see at least one movie a day for uh as long as you have the subscription um without having to pay additional price to what you've already paid on the subscription is the best way I would say to do it. Cause it's the essentially this, as we, we talked about before, it's this, it's the way of, uh, you know, we do streaming accounts and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree with you. And, um, uh, you know, there is still some stuff with movie pass that's problematic to an extent. And, uh, mm-hmm. I would say, kind of, in the categories of of the pros, though, it's like what you're talking about, right? Is it's it's becoming more and more of a normality for us to have, un, seemingly at least, unlimited access to things for a monthly price. Now, I I mean, I still feel like ten dollars a month might be a little bit low. Um, I I think they maybe should have done twenty a month because. I, I mean, I just personally, I think that might have been a little bit more sustainable. Um, but then again, this is something you know, that they're kind of testing the waters with. Movie Pass as a company has been around for about six years now. right. Um, they've gone through several iterations of of their platform and what they've offered. And um I definitely think they're on the right path. you know, I mean that's and it's easy to look at this from from an industry standpoint and say, well, you know this isn't ever going to work but i'm pretty sure there was a point in time where blockbuster videos said the same thing about netflix sending dvds in the mail and well we all know how that turned out um
0: well it's funny that you bring up blockbuster because i mean yeah. as i don't know if we've talked about on this podcast or not but uh, a little behind the scenes is that you and i both worked at blockbuster when they were a, a thing and uh Uh, One of the things that they started up while we were working there was a thing called the movie pass where you paid a monthly subscription and you came in as many times as you want and you could get, you had, you were able to trade out two movies in and out as many times as you want. Right. Uh, At the time, you know, I I always thought that that was a great idea because movies came out on Tuesdays uh new movies came out on Tuesdays but everybody waited till Friday to watch their movie so if you came in on Tuesday with your movie pass you wouldn't have to worry about bringing it back anytime you just had it on your movie pass so i think uh, the so it's, it guarantees you to have a movie for the weekend is what i was trying to get at but uh i think that the 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 movie theaters going towards a subscription uh, Base thing in which I assume that, that every theater is going to have their own model of it. Not uh movie pass will then be pushed out because people, uh, the theaters won't be able to, or no theaters are going to want to participate as we've seen starting to happen, or at least they've already happened.
1: Well, I think that's I think that's the initial resistance from a company that's unwilling to, or or an industry even that's unwilling to change, that's reactionary instead of being proactionary, and that's exactly what you were talking about. Even with the blockbuster movie pass, that happened well, well, well into the life cycle of of Netflix, and the problem there was is that Netflix had already taken a foothold, and it wasn't it was too little, too late. Right. And I think the same situation applies here. I think if these these theater chains and these studios don't start getting behind and really pushing for MoviePass to become that platform, I think they're in trouble. Because the other side of that situation is, is that as it exists currently, which this is one of the things I was going to talk about that does bother me about MoviePass and how they're representing themselves. If you go to MoviePass.com, the very first thing that pops up says MoviePass, Pass any movie, any theater, any day. That's not true. No. That is 100% not true. And then right below it, it says all major movies, all major theaters, no commitment. Again, that's not true. Um, It doesn't work at all major theaters. As we know now, especially in our area, uh, it, it omits one of the largest theater chains in the Southwest, which are Harkins Theaters. Um, now whether that's because Harkins doesn't want to be a part of it or not is irrelevant. It's the fact that they're still marketing it that way. And that's, that to me is not a conducive way to go about trying to change things, right? Is, is you need to be very transparent. You need to be very clear about what you're doing. Um, the other side of that coin is, is you're right. AMC is trying to get out of their deal with MoviePass, pass, which I think is absolutely stupid um they've come out and said the reason that they they are trying to get out of it is because they think it's detrimental to the film industry because they don't view it as sustainable and they think what's going to happen is that people are going to get into the mindset of paying ten dollars a month to go watch um, one movie a day in the theaters Uh, it also excludes uh, 3d films it excludes imax movies um, that sorts of things.
0: I thought I uh, thought for but, 3D films, though. I thought for 3D films, they they just you just have to pay the difference. Well,
1: yes, but in their description of what's on their website, it doesn't cover the cost of a 3D movie. Okay. Whether you pay the difference or not to make it cover it, I, I you would know better than I on that. But on their site, it specifically says a new 2D movie. Like it completely omits 3D films uh, to in, in its entirety and IMAX. Um, but you could be right. I, I'm not 100% sure on that. But the thing that I think is interesting with AMC uh, is their thought process is that, you know, um, I think when I was reading up on it, there's only about 20,000 movie pass subscribers. Um, but but what AMC is saying is, is they don't want to they don't want to be associated with it. And they don't want it to work because they're afraid that it's going to start getting people in the mindset of paying $10 a month to watch a movie. And then it's going to go bankrupt and go away. And then those people are just going to stop watching movies. Well, (laughs) I think the reality is, is for most people that this is targeting are people that are in that, you know, 29 percent, according to the MPA, that never go to the theater or the 51 percent that go to less than one movie a month, indicating that maybe they see one movie every two months in which case it it would fall in line similar to how most gym memberships would, where you're paying for it, but the reality is, is the bulk majority of people that are paying for it aren't using it. Right. Um, the other side of the coin is is of what they're trying to hope to do is selling your information of, based on your habits to the studios, to the theaters, to all of the things around the theaters to help increase all of this uh, data. And and I think they have actually partnered or have been sold to two media collection firms um, from what I was kind of reading. And I forget the two names of that. But what they were trying to leverage is that, you know, you're still paying, well, rather MoviePass is still paying the full price of the ticket. Yeah. And what they've seen so far is that from um, MoviePass. Uh, subscribers their ability not their ability but they're purchasing 123 percent more revenue at the um, concessions than non-movie pass subscribers which most theaters make like you said more money off of the concessions because they have like a 100 to 400 percent markup on the concessions um, the other thing that they had talked about was if they could get you know movie pass into the multiple millions of subscribers they can leverage all of that statistical data back to stuff like uh, i think one of the one of the companies they referenced specifically i think was like tcby which is like a frozen yogurt shop Mm -hmm. that they could leverage um you know where you do a monthly subscription and with that monthly subscription You also get like dinner, dessert and a movie and everyone's still making money because of the way that they're leveraging this data by getting people to those locations in the first place, Uh, which to me, this makes a lot more sense than saying, well, we're going to dynamically price movies and movies that are doing uh, very well in the box office are going to start costing even more money, whereas like if a movie's not doing well, it's going to cost less money. I don't think that that, like, to me, MoviePass does a better job of addressing getting people out of their homes theater and spending money at those theaters and at the establishments around that theater. Because, you know, that's the thing. Like, if you could literally go and do dinner and a movie and all that stuff and it cost you maybe 20 bucks versus... I mean, it's still obviously probably a little bit more than that. But, you know, hypothetically, if it cost you like 20 to 40 dollars versus a hundred dollars, you know, people would probably be a lot more likely to go and actually visit a theater and go in to watch a movie. I think it also does answer the same situation of helping those smaller films out because people are like, well, if I don't like it. I'm not really out any money. So let me take a chance on it. Let me go use my Movie Pass card today on this one. And if I don't like it, then I'll, you know, I can leave or I can finish it because I'm not really spending any money on it. And I can come back tomorrow and watch that other movie on my Movie Pass that I really wanted to see, which now means that you've gotten two visits out of a person who before that or only went once a month and now they're potentially going and buying concessions on two nights out of the month instead of once every two months. Mm -hmm. And to me, as a theater chain, I don't know how everybody's not hopping on board to start leveraging this to their advantage because I think if they could make this work in the way that they're hoping to and in a similar format to how a lot of the other streaming services uh, have done it, I think it's a it's a really big win for the industry as a whole, to be honest, from my perspective, at least,
0: you know, and I I would say the same thing. I would think that 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 the movie industry and the theaters and specifically would would revel at this idea because of the the concession um, part. Now, uh, as you noted, you kind of noted earlier is that I I myself do have a movie pass subscription because I wanted to give it a try. And I, I wanted to bring up that I, this past week, I got an email from them saying that they are now partnering up with a new um, movie streaming website called Fandor and that uh, if I add $2 onto my subscription of $10 a month already, uh, I would have access, or $2 a month for the first 12 months to Fandor uh, I would have access to Fandor and and their thousands of movies that they have on their streaming website. So thus, as you were saying, they're already expanding their idea of uh, what the Movie Pass consists of. Maybe maybe it will go to TCBY also, or then also you know other places to go along with it. But uh, you know that's it, it, obviously there's already a thing. It's already a growing thing.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, that's like kind of what this article that I, I believe they were interviewing somebody from MoviePass. That's kind of what they had had said, you know, is that that was their ultimate goal and that was the way that they were going to drive profits was through this analytical data of getting people to these locations as well as you know i'm sure somewhere in there they could probably even start leveraging advertisements in a, in a strategic way as well which you know anybody that's followed google knows that that's how they make the bulk majority of all of their revenue is yeah. off of uh, ad rev and uh yeah i i just i don't i don't see a world in which this doesn't become a thing at some point point. And, and i do think it's a like because I'll be honest, the only reason I don't use MoviePass right now is because it only seemingly works at basically, for, well, for my location, I should say, based on where I live. It only works with AMC Theaters. And I do not like AMC Theaters. I, I I don't enjoy going to them for the most part. And I don't enjoy their concessions for the most part. So, like, if they could get this deal brokered out with, like, Harkins, I would be there in a heartbeat. I would do it so quick and i would i would totally think that this would be something also extremely beneficial for harkins as well because you know they only stand like that's the biggest thing right is the biggest thing we need to understand is that essentially you are still paying full price for that ticket there is no loss of ticket revenue as it currently exists so the only thing is is that theaters stand to have more people coming to the movie which has to translate to more money being spent in that theater. I don't see a way that it doesn't.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're not spending 40 bucks on a, on a ticket or two tickets to go to the movies, that, that, that money is going to go towards the concession stand. I mean, people, it's just obvious. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad that, uh, we were able to talk this, talk about this. So, uh, if anybody else has some ideas or themes or, or, things that they want to talk about with uh, movie subscriptions and movie pass and stuff like that. We'd love to hear it. So if you want to get a hold of me on Twitter, I'm at agent underscore of the underscore bat. Richard's also on Twitter as
1: at Ray Cohen, R I C O W
0: N. Uh, the rest of geekly radio is at geekly radio on Twitter at geekly radio on Instagram and facebook.com backslash geekly radio is our Facebook page. Uh, geekly radio.com is our uh, website. Check out archives episodes, archives, episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the geekly radio network also make sure to check out richard on his twitch channel as he tends to uh stream video games uh what is it sundays and yeah. what other days
1: well i just uh, the only day that i have set is uh i stream sundays at 2 p.m mountain standard time um this week i i, I think i am actually going to stream uh probably right now um i picked up a new game called the hidden agendas uh, which is made by um, the same development team that made uh, Until Dawn. And I already played through it once on stream and, and the whole community made all the choices and we saw the ending. And now we we're, we're going to do another community playthrough and try the different choices and see how the ending uh, changes. But it's twitch.tv slash one R-I-C-O-W-N, the number one. And uh, you can be a part of that as well.
0: There you go. So uh, definitely many ways to get a hold of us and talk to us and interact with us and we'd love to we'd love to do all those things with you. So uh, until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network, saying always remember to geek out. Yeah. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.